Welcome to another episode of Opinions. I'm Steve and with me as always is Martin. Evening mate. Each week we'll be chatting about what's been going on in the industry, sharing our opinions and of course drinking beer. This week we're going to be talking supermarkets and the role that they're currently playing in craft beer. But before that, let's uh, let's get stuck into a beer mate. That sounds like a good idea. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that's bloody lovely. What, what, what have you pulled for us Steve? Okay, so what I've got here, we've got a beer from Odyssey Bruco. Um, who are still fairly new to the scene, um, based in Herefordshire. Um, and this is uh, Ego Wars. And so this is a series of beers that they're doing where they're um, doing hop versus hop in, in the beer. So this is Ego Wars version 2. And this is Citra versus Galaxy. It's an IPA and it's 6.5%. And it is bloody delicious. It, it is really, really tasty, isn't yeah. it? There's loads of bags of flavour in there. It's got a lovely nose to it as well. Yeah, it's loads. Of, I mean, to be honest, I could smell it from when you poured it. I just hadn't paid much attention to what you were doing, but the aroma of it is delicious. It's, um, it's a lovely balance of kind of citrus fruit flavours in it. Um, and then there's this really long bitter finish to it very just, dry end to it yeah very bitter, dry. sharp dry it's it's absolutely perfect lovely carbonation as well yeah yes yeah um really really enjoyable beer that anyway let's um we'll yeah. dip in and out of that as as, as we're going through because as always we're going to start off with uh our beery adventures this week so so what have you been up to mate okay well um recently went on a sam brooks uh brewery tour and uh, lucky enough, uh, it was uh, an evening when uh, the owner and founder, Duncan Sandbrook, was uh, hosting it. And um, for anyone who's interested there, they, I did get a bit of an interview with him as well. So uh, that, that'll be at the end of the show. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Sandbrook's. So uh, when we got there and he said, uh, what would you like to have to drink? I said, I'll have a pint of Junction, please, because that's my favourite of mm-hmm. the cask beer range. Um, but they've also started to branch out to keg. And um, I tried the IPA. Uh, which was on banging form, I have to admit. It was lovely balance between like, English malts and uh, American hops. The tap room overlooks the brewery. It's a lovely space. And the tour was really informative, very relaxed. There was only a few of us on it, which was quite nice for me. Got to ask a few questions, um, take a few pictures of more stuff, which are in silver, and, and pretend to know what beers are in them. So, yeah, really, really good fun. Not that bad to get to. Five, ten-minute walk from Clapham Junction Station. Yeah. So yeah, but that, that was a really enjoyable evening. Uh, Beer-wise, I finally got around to trying the Beavertown Lupuloid. Finally. Finally. <laughs> uh, well, everyone else seemed to beat me to it. I was going to say, you must be like the last person yeah. in the UK you know, to, even, to have drunk that. Even my girlfriend Michelle tried it, you know, yeah. as evidenced by the picture last week with Dave, um, our, our mascot. So uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really nice, actually. I mean, it was a banging, well-balanced, fruity IPA. Maybe didn't have the same, um, like hit you in the face as Gamma Ray does but I thought it was really enjoyable and at that 6 plus percent mm. same as you guys were talking about on the uh, Lee's Little Flavour of the Month I thought it was lovely really nice beer and a stunning can yeah one of the best <laughs> can designs I think ever yeah if you're yeah. Tr- trying to stand out on the shelf job done it, it does It does the job, job yeah. done yeah. And, and finally after my uh, little moan last week about Stone um, I finally got to try the go to IPA while I was in Brewdog in Southampton very enjoyable session IPA. Yeah. It was nice to get it because I'd been to a couple of pubs beforehand which weren't serving any beers that I liked. So to stumble on the Brewdog and get the Stone Go to IPA was a very welcome welcome addition to the evening. Was that uh, on keg? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah. Um, any anything else? No, that that was about it for me. It was a fairly a low key. Week, yeah. yeah, fairly low key for me. Yeah. Um. Same here, really. I mean, I've I, I've not really done that much. There's a, a few of us went round to uh, last week's guest Matt Matt's uh, bar in his garden on on Friday night for a bit of an Oktoberfest session. Uh, where we drank, we must have uh, must have bought the local Aldis out of all of their Oktoberfest specials and just just drank loads of German lager all evening. Um, and then also on on Saturday night, I I was a guest on the Irish Beer Snobs Beery Chats, where where we're reviewing some beers from Eight Degrees. Um, which if people want to watch that, it's still available online, and there'll be a link in tonight's show notes. Oh, I saw that. That was uh, I thought that was quite interesting. I thought the uh, the, the guy from Eight Degrees was. Very good. Yeah, it, it was good. I think it was good to have him on because I thought he brought kind of a level of uh, knowledge and yeah. background that maybe collectively we wouldn't have aspired to have achieved. Yeah, I think so because we he, he knows everything that they've done from the start, whereas you, you guys, the Irish Beer Snobs, um, the Maxwells and uh, Rory all know lots of stuff, but not, very, not necessarily specifically about eight degrees. Yeah. And I thought I thought he was a really good speaker as well. Beer wise, uh, remarkably, the two standout beers for me this week are both cask beers. Which shock horror! I'm glad I'm sitting down, mate. First time I've ever said that. <laughs> I, I think on a podcast of any description. Um, first one was Blank Slate, which is a it's a new one for me from Hamilton. Um, I've not seen this in their range before. This was a, a light, something like three point two percent golden ale. Um, which was drinking really, really easy. As, oh, where, as, where did you get that? That was on at the Owl House in, oh, okay. in Chelmsford. So um, it was good to see Hamilton reaching out into Essex now. Yeah, there, that's there brilliant. Um, and then following on from, from last week's um, podcast, we were talking about the new Iron Maiden Red and Black Porter. Yeah. I, I managed to track that down on cask and, and give that a go. And um, it's actually quite good. You're, 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 you're sounding surprised in your voice there, Steve. I I am surprised. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but it is a really good uh, porter. I think I would use the word robust with it. it. It finishes with quite a sweet finish. It's a It's been done really well, and I'd, I'd be really keen to actually try the bottled version of it to see, see what it comes across like in the bottle as well. Okay, so maybe there is a little bit of an improvement in uh, maybe fame and beers coming together. Yes, let's um, let's just hold hold on and see see whether that continues. Okay, or, or, or not. Um, so before we go again, we're moving things around a little bit this week. So we're we're going to chat about uh, what blogs um, you've been reading next. Um, any more thoughts on on the beer as as we're still drinking? It's it. very, very drinkable. That little that dryness sort of eases off a little bit, I think, just because the more you drink it, that dry finish is easing off a little bit. Um, bags of those tropical flavours. Carbonation is holding really nicely. I would not know. I, I would just have automatically assumed Odyssey were based in the States if I was drinking this blind. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fabulous beer. That's that's a compliment right there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, they do... I mean, I've had a few from Odyssey now, and I, I must admit, I've not been disappointed by any of them. They do very, um, very hop-forward beers. Um, and uh, what size are the bottles? Size They're 500 mils, but they look much bigger. Yeah, they, they do. They almost look like those pint bottles. They, yeah, they're like mini bombers. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they are... They're, they're a nice bottle. The artwork on them is, is really unique as well. Um, but yeah, uh, all round good stuff. So I'd, I'd keep your eyes out for Odyssey because I think they're going to be um, one of the 
breweries to watch in the next 12 months okay now I'll, I'll, I'll watch them more, more more to the point if you carry on buying them I'll drink them <laughs> this, this might not be there this might not be their last appearance on the show um, okay so what, what have you been reading this week mate okay well a few things have uh, leapt out of me uh, one is from um, Sophie Atherton journalist and beer sommelier um, who's recently done the uh, the foreword on the, uh, the the cast report 2017 and she did a bit of a blog about her relationship with cask especially in her younger days but the bit which um, stood out for me steve was um some stats at the end of it which are obviously part of the cask cask report um and i think this is probably where you know the whole uh, part of the cask keg and why cask can be a bit fragile at times and people can go have a different relationship or an iffy relationship with it um some just some of the numbers which are quoted and again i'm just quoting from the blog so i i, I can't add any veracity to this at all but one in three pints are served through unclear bean beer lines. You've also got 33% of glasses are dirty, 35% of glass washes are unhygienic. Sellers are running too warm an average of four days per month. 33% of ale pythons, uh, which is what keeps the cask cool, are low on water, leading to inconsistent temperature of cask beer. One in 10 pubs has had an issue with beer being served too warm. I mean, obviously, what Sophie does say is that there are lots of good pubs and there are lots of great mm-hmm. publicans, and we all know some very good pubs who serve some fantastically well-kept cask ale. But it does go to show that it's it's an art. There is an art to sellermanship. It's not just connect it all up and out it goes. This is a live product, and you do need to, it does need mm-hmm. a bit of TLC. And I think that sort of highlights where, especially if someone's coming new to cask beer, they can fall out of love with it very quickly. Uh, absolutely, I think. I, I think. I suppose the, the the one thing maybe to say about that is they that does seem to be all of the negative stats. Yes, yes. It, it would be interesting to see because there's got to be some positive stats. Yeah, oh, yeah, in the definitely somewhere. Definitely. So it would it would have been interesting to maybe balance those out with a few positives as well, rather than just focusing on the. The negative aspect. Oh yeah, good point. And may, maybe I'll um, set myself a task to find a few of the uh, the positive ones because like I said we all know the good pubs. We all have good pubs. We all yeah, have yeah. pubs where we will trust the cask beer output, even if the cask beer isn't to our liking. We won't say it's bad, and I think that's the difference. Yeah, Not yeah. every beer is going to be to your liking, but you want it to be served the right way. So, but I've, I, I, as a, as a set of stats, I thought, well, okay, yes, they are negative, but. It's all puts into sharp contrast. You probably don't get some of those. Wouldn't always apply to other ways of getting beer, bottles, cans, or keg. Yeah, no, no, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, yeah, it's um, like, like you say, we've, and we've probably all fallen foul to one of those misgivings yeah. over time. Definitely, definitely. Um, but uh, the next one is from the Telegraph, um, and it, it ties in what, with one of the beers for your beery adventures, Steve. So. Uh, Rock and roll stars who have created their own beer. Oh, we mentioned this last week as well. Yeah, we? yeah. Um, but they've done a bit of a list. Uh, the first one which caught me because this probably hasn't come across in the past, but I'm a very big Beatles and Paul McCartney fan, and uh, Paul McCartney has created an ale which um, is he uses hops that are grown on his land in East Sussex, but it's not on sale. He only he gives it away to to friends and family. I'm guessing he doesn't doesn't need the money to be honest. Yeah. Um, does does he brew it himself then? That doesn't say. I have to admit. But I know that in his early days, when he was doing a lot of the veg- when he first started getting into the vegetarian thing with Linda McCartney, they were very much about doing their own stuff on the farm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the the one of the first uh, non-Beatles albums they did, Ram, 
was all about, you know, the reason why they did that is because of the sheep on the farm, etc. So it wouldn't be surprised if there was an, uh, he, he had an element of interest. Um, I couldn't say for certain. I'd like to think he has, and then in which case I'd definitely want to taste it. Yeah. Just to see what it's like. But then he's, he's because if, if he is, at, at that point, he's like any other home brewer, isn't he? He can't, he can't sell his beer unless he goes no. through the prerequisites. Yeah, exactly. Of, HM Custom, so, so he's, he's got to give it away. Giving it away makes it a lot, lot easier, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? Um, Queen, Queen Bohemian Lager. Um, so th this one is, um, I, I've got no idea what this one's like. Handcrafted Pilsner from the Kingdom of Bohemia, Czech Republic. So I'm guessing a bit, a bit of a Pilsner. Yeah. So I think they're more of a play on words for that one than anything else. Uh, obviously Trooper, Iron Maiden, done with Robinson's. And um, the only other one which uh, caught my eye was a beer called Fuzzy, at 8.5% with Welsh Rockers Super Fairy Animals, which they did with Celt Experience. And I had to me, I've always been a bit of a fan of Celt Experience beers. Um, and Super Fairy Animals, I've heard of as well. So yeah. that's always a good start. And 8.5%. I mean, if you're going to dive in and do a beer, do it bigger. Yeah, why not? Get, you know, get, get straight in there. Get straight in there on I, that one. I, I think this is, and I said this last week when we were talking about the, uh, the, the Motorhead beer, this is, this is definitely one that I think we're going to have to do a feature on in, in, in the future. Um, you know, band tie-ins, tie are they actually any good? That, that sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, I think our experience of Trooper put us a little bit off. I think so, yeah. But maybe we're pulling it back with your, your more recent experience yeah. with the Red and Black. So but again, not to take anything away from them, Trooper has been a massive commercial success for Robinsons. Yes. Um, it's been very much driven by the Iron Maiden name behind it. And the label. And I mean, the label yeah. is like an, uh, an album cover. Abs absolutely, yeah. Um, but it's, it's great because it, it's possible that that beer has introduced a lot of new people to real ale. It, yeah, it, it, it's possible. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying it has. I mean, it's not to my liking. It's for no, me, it's, it's just it's, a, it's it's a, it's a brown, brown yeah. one. But you, you know, and um, obviously, you know, you've got your likes of signature brewers as well. We've done lots and lots of collabs with people as well, and it's it's great to see these kind of tie-in beers. I think now becoming available at some of the concerts as well, where the bands yeah, are still not enough of them. When I went to Foo Fighters last year, it was still the same old shit in plastic bottles. Yeah, well, Foo, Foo Fighters haven't brewed a beer yet. I know. I and if they did, it would be the best beer ever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last one was um, is an actual is a blog. Uh, seeing the lizards, bizarre stuff seen from the bottom of a bottle or a glass, uh, entitled expectation, and this is basically about you know. When you're buying beer in supermarkets, um, so you know there's an obvious reason why I've chosen this one, but it actually sparked my interest beforehand anyway, especially uh, you know from somebody who grew up above an off license. Mm -hmm. So, mum and dad would have needed would be asked questions about predominantly wine because we lived above the off license between the 70s and 80s. So, beer was very much macro. It's very much macro lager. Stack them high, sell them. And this is before supermarkets really got in on the beer scene. Now that the beer scene, you know, you can buy alcohol very easily in supermarkets and stuff. This is really about, you know, what the supermarkets bring to it versus, you know, getting it elsewhere. Um, the link to this one will be in the show notes. I don't want to say too much else about this one, apart from it did pique my interest, mainly because a lot of what's in here does filter through into, you know, our, our opinions for this week anyway. And that, that, that's about it for me. 
Okay, um, so are we going to link? We'll, we'll probably link all of those through yep. in, in, in the show notes, as always, if people want to check check them out and read them. But as, as you say, the, the the last blog there from from seeing the lizards uh, about supermarket beers does very much tie into this week's opinions. Opinions, 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 opinions. With the advent of craft beer sections in supermarkets, are new drinkers being duped? by cheap or macro impersonators? So that was the, the the question that we asked. A lot of people took umbrage with the word duped. Um, I think we were just trying to get the question out there. Let's not focus too much on the words that we put in the question. Um, but we had a lot of people got involved this week. So 275 votes. Well, that's, um, pretty, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's probably one of the highest ones yet yeah. for, for, for opinions. Um, 69% said yes. Um, 18% said beer is beer and 13% said no. Um, so a, a resounding landslide victory for, for the yes side there. Um, some of the comments that came in. Um, so Tom Stefanakis at Tom G. Steph. Noticing it, noticing it both in supermarket and bars, e.g. Blue Moon and Cause New Prava. Making beers up with no heritage. Hashtag no. Um, Katsuo, Katrinas, not bothered about the size or what defines craft. It bothered me that they'd made up a new brewery to sell the beer, though. Uh, and she was referring to about a year ago, uh, a range of beers appeared in Tesco's from the Metropolitan Brewery. Yeah. Yeah, it was Green King. Green King. Yeah. Uh, she was very upset by by that duping that, that, uh, that she underwent there. Um, Rolling Blue has been at Has Been New Boy. Not sure new drinkers care. Hence, they can't be duped. It's informed drinkers who get caught out and upset. So I guess he's referring to the likes of ourselves that yep. do get upset when Green King create a new brewery to try and sell beers in Tesco's. Uh, James at Gammon Baron uh, went slightly off topic uh, and said, has any macro come close or nailed it yet? Only M&S seem to get it right with their own brand craft. Which is a, a great it's, it's a good point. Comment on its own, slightly yeah, slightly yeah. off, but there there is a connection there. Yeah, um, so we might we might come back to that yeah. actually to, to chat about M and S. Uh, Oliver Cunningham for, at Falk and Carrot. I don't think so. As long as you look for honest labelling that clearly indicates who brewed it and where. Uh, and then finally, Mike Hampshire at Nature nineteen eighty two. I voted yes, but on second thoughts, how can you be duped over something that has no clear definition? And, and that's where things started going a little bit awry. Because oh, we that would explain all the responses then. That we, we then got into a discussion where uh, Miles Lambert, a further question, is it time we stopped using the difficult, define, difficult to define term craft? If anyone can use it, and that was backed up by Roland again, who said, not sure you can say people are being duped without stepping into the what is craft minefield. Um, Just that, to be clear, we're not stepping into that we're not, minefield. We're not stepping into that minefield. We're never going to step into that <laughs> no. minefield. It's it's one that doesn't really need doing. So, those were the views of, of, of Twitter this this week. Um, we've we've got some bits to chat about there. We've got the the, the the blog and we've got some stats here as well around supermarket beer sales. Um, let's get in and share our views for, first of all, though. So. Um, Martin, what, what are you thinking on this one? Okay, well, unlike last week, where I didn't really give it much thought at all because I had a very firm opinion about it, I've given this one a bit more thought this week. Um, and I voted, without commenting, but I voted beer is beer, to be honest. Um, a few reasons for this. 
Uh, one is that I personally don't feel duped when I go to the supermarket, but that could just be because for that particular product I'm buying, I have a little bit of knowledge behind me. Um, and that tied in with one of the tweets I did read from Ian Barnard that, you know, perhaps it's not the craft beer community who get duped. Is it newbies or people experimenting? Um, I always, I mean, supermarkets are always trying to dupe us, to be honest. I mean, buy one, get one free, free for the price of two, where you may only be saving a, a matter of pence is always a duping. Um, they always used to sell the sweets on the way up to the counter when you're paying, so the kids want to ask for the mm-hmm. sweets. Um, so I, I'm not convinced. I, I do agree with, uh, I think you said Katrina, um, about the, re, uh, and, and Green King was my example. They created a brewery called Metropolitan, which I'm presuming is probably just a post box or something. Um, but they also rebranded some of their existing ales and put them from 500 mils into 330 yes, bottles. Yeah, yeah. Things like the Yardbird Ale and stuff. Um, that annoyed me um, because that was just quite simply a beer you'd already done. And some of the beers from uh, Belhaven, their Scottish brewery that they bought out, they got rebranded as well. I was like, well, you know, that's not really what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that that was the one, one one thing I did have a problem with. But no, I, I personally don't feel duped and I would think that it has given us more shelf space as beer lovers because they haven't really taken away from the real ale offerings. So if you go into a Tesco, Sainsbury's, Tesco probably one of the better ones at the moment out of your mainstream supermarkets if you take M&S out of the equation. They tend to have their real ale offers you know, three for five pound or four for six pound. But the craft beer section seems to be a little bit separate. Yeah. And although some of those beers are craft, maybe in inverted commas, they're probably still ones I would buy. Especially when you're talking one pound 79 for a bottle. So I'm not sure. I mean, you know, it gives choice. Um, I think going back to Roland's, if you don't know you're being duped, are you being duped? It's not as if they're charging the earth for this particular bit of duping. I think there's, you know, the, the, the rebranding and the new brewery thing from Green King, definitely a, a, a bugbear with that. But re, the, the whole branding exercise, you know, you can see why they did it. I mean, look at what recordling have done with cider. Yes, yeah. no. You know, yeah. that's alcoholic syrup. Mm-hmm. And that is massive these days. I mean, you know, they've, they've made a, a, a fortune on that probably, I imagine now. You know, Swedish cider, there's, you know, barely a fruit was coming into contact with that alcohol at any yeah. point. So, and I think... Going back to the blog that I last mentioned, knowledge. So, say you do want to ask someone in a supermarket, that's gonna that's gonna come at a price. So, the reason why you know off licenses started to fall away, we now have you know a few big off licenses, chains like Majestic, and we have bottle shops, you know, independent bottle shops. But the off licenses, the Victoria wines, the Unwins of this world, fell away because people wanted cheap and in bulk and to buy all this stuff in one place. Yeah. Yes, you got your. You definitely paid a lot less for it, but you didn't have anyone to ask any questions. So, it depends what you want. You know, do you want access to beers at a decent price, so your four cans of vacation for six quid, or do you want somebody who can tell you what they're about, and then you buy two cans for six quid? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's there's a set of scales here. It's the way I look at it, and I am. Like I said I think there isn't that much. I don't think there's that much of a problem. I, I like to be able to buy my beers from a variety of places and sometimes a supermarket does do a job. 
I, I think so. I'm, and we'll come back to that point. I just want to um, I want to get into the second bit. Um, I'm glad you said that because I'm, I'm quite yeah. excited about this one. So again, this is from from Odyssey, uh, and this is uh, double zombie blood. Cheers. So this is an India Red Ale. Cheers, mate. This one weighs in at seven percent. As people can tell, we're making up for the alcohol-free night we did a couple of nights, a couple of weeks ago. We are, yeah. If, if, if the twelve beers that we did collectively last week wasn't enough, then then, then this is. Um, that's really tasty. It's got a lovely bite to it. Yeah, it's um, it's full of like kind of dark fruits. A little bit earthy as well. Mm. It's quite sharp. There's a little bit of sharpness to that as well. So it's very sharp on the finish. Yeah. And again, it's. That dryness is there again. Very dry. Um, that's nice. I'm enjoying. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how that warms. Yeah. In in, in the glass. Um, so coming back to the discussion, and he's saying about supermarkets do a job, and and yes, sometimes they do, and we do. Um, you know, we all shop in supermarkets from time to time. Um, so this this week week's opinion comes in a week where we, we saw the news that for the first time ever, beer sales in supermarkets have overtaken pubs. Um, so um, uh, across the 145,000 pubs, clubs, hotels and restaurants um, they've now been outsold um, by supermarkets in, in, in this last year so from the 44 million hectolitres which is around 7.74 billion pints that's, that's a lot of beer that is a lot of beer um, that's roughly what Steve would be drinking at Indie Man at the weekend. That's what I'll be trying to consume, yeah. Uh, sold during, in the UK during 2015, 51% of that was sold on the off trade, which is dominated by large su supermarkets. Um, the remaining 49% was obviously sold in, in pubs, clubs, hotels, that sort of thing. Um, and they're, they're using examples in here of supermarkets selling slabs uh, of beer. So, so you likes of 18 cans of Stella for £14. Um, which is the equivalent to about a pound a pint. Um, and uh, as they're selling, you know, all of the big supermarkets selling slabs of beer. Um, that's that's quite shocking news in, in, in a I, way. It is shock, shocking to me because although I do drink a lot of beer at home, my preference is drinking it in a pub. Yeah. Pub or bar is still my preferred option. Being somewhere close to, a, to, a, to the actual bar being there with friends and stuff so yeah I, I you know I, I imagine a lot of those stats are definitely bumped up by those offers where you can buy case of 12 case of 18 case of 24 that does make a difference because even in the off license when we used to sell the slabs you could not compete with the supermarket once supermarkets moved in on that it doesn't matter what offer we were selling them at you, you can't compete with the amount of bulk purchasing power that they have and you know during the summer they're always advertising these bulk offers or when the football's on you know bring your case of cold beer to a barbecue kind of thing yeah yeah there must be a lot of it is made up by that it'd be quite interesting perhaps to find out if there's a, a second level of stats within that where you could find out whether it was like the bulk macro because i can't imagine our specialist bottle shops are making up a very large percentage of the off-sale market same with the online shops it a lot of it is gonna be the bulk buying in supermarkets that you can do. Yeah, and interestingly, that that comes in a year. So 2015, there, there was no major football championship. 
there was no major sporting events last year, so it will be interesting. So this is 2015 numbers? This, this is 2015 numbers, so it will be interesting to see what those numbers are like for 2016, where we've had the Euro Championships, we've had the Olympics as well this year. Will and those, a fairly decent summer as well. Yeah, will, will those figures have, have, have gone up? Interestingly, the same report says that sales of car scale have also um, held up well. So they've risen from 7.3% of all beer sales in 2010 to 8.2% five years later. So it's taken five years for just under a percentage increase of car scale sales. You could make the correlation there that that's the five years of the craft boom. So people are also wanting to experience different beers. Yeah, I think so. And also a lot of those different beers you want to try are only available in bars, pubs, tap rooms. So I can understand that. It doesn't seem like a big percentage, but pint-wise, that must actually be quite a lot of extra cask beer yeah. going going out. So that's quite good. I mean, didn't someone say recently there's about seventeen hundred breweries in the UK now? Yeah, that was announced today. Yeah, so was, yeah, seventeen hundred you know, now. There yeah. is a lot of beer being churned out. Whatever umbrella you want to put it under, cask, craft, whatever. I mean, seventeen hundred breweries. I'm, I'm pretty chuffed with that. That's a lot of beer being produced. That's a lot of it's, beer being it, produced. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's interesting that there is a little bit of a balance on the stats there. You like to think that the good will out, so I think the good so, beer yeah. and the good places will carry on. You know, I was in the Victoria last night, one of my, you know, one of my favourite pubs, Colchester pub of the year last few years, East Anglia pub of the year a couple of years ago, um, and it was busy in there on a Sunday night, and that's where I want. That's where I, you know, I drank cast beer last night, and that's where I want to drink mm-hmm. cast beer. I have to admit. I don't drink much real ale in the bottle at home. So I don't buy real ale to drink at home. I drink real ale when I'm out and have it from the cask. Um, but w- w- where do you sit on this, Steve? I It's, it's interesting because I, I I don't feel as though I've ever been duped by by a supermarket. I, I, I think it's... I don't know, some of those early beers you had on the beer o'clock show. Uh, maybe, yeah, but you can put that down to an experience yeah. or, or, or a lack of a lack of knowledge and, and not taking the time to actually read the label um, so I think you know while we are seeing an, an increase and as I say we're seeing an increase I think it's, it's maybe slowed down now where the, the macros have stopped trying to impersonate craft beer because they know they can't do it they, they just buy them instead yeah they just they just buy them out instead as, as, as the <laughs> so rather than pretend and make your yeah. own well let's just buy them but I, I think for me the result is what we've seen as a result is we've seen more craft lines available in in supermarkets. I mean, if you look this year, the the, the biggest one this year was the vocation cans appearing in in, in Tesco's. Yeah, like I said, four for six quid. Yeah, that that would never have happened were it not for some of those impersonators, or were it not for your likes of maybe Adnams taking on uh, a craft range and doing it really well. Yeah. And, and kind of opening the doors for the, the supermarkets. And, and maybe some of it is just common business sense that supermarkets are seeing this, that this is coming. We need to start stocking these beers in, in our supermarket. Well, you know, our, our senses, our, our easiest and latest senses are eyes. And if you look at some of the, the cans, uh, you know, I think we all agree that 2015 and definitely 2016 year, years of the cans, that you see some of these cans on the shelf. I mean, I, I bought some cans in to work for Macmillan last Friday. And everyone, when I was setting it all up, and this was about half seven in the morning, and said, um, oh, I thought you'd bring in some beer. It was like fizzy pop. 
Yeah. You know, I had uh, some Magic Rocks and Beaver Town and some Vacation. And no one thought it would be beer at all, just because of the way the cans are designed mm-hmm. and everything. So, you know, if you put those on the shelf, and also, again, cans take up less space. So, again, if yeah. you're looking from a, a business perspective, you could perhaps have two shelves of cans versus one shelf of bottles. Then, commercially, like you say, Steve, it makes sense to have, have craft beer on the shelves. Hopefully, we're, we're starting to see what we class as craft beer. But, you know, I think we all acknowledge that we'll still pick up a bottle of Larganitas if it's on the shelf at 179. Yeah. Is it craft beer anymore? You know? Well, there's that. And, you know, who's who's not going to go into Marks & Spencer before they train and pick up a can of New World IPA? But by Northern Monk for 220 or whatever it is you can pick well, exactly. up. Well, exactly. So, yeah. you know, I, I, it's, I would say it's a good thing on the whole a good gateway for a lot of people yeah and if people decide to buy that and have it in their house when I come around rather than having bought a slab of saying else then I'm probably going to be quite happy about it well I mean just just to finish up on this the, the, the one point I just want to go back to is the point that um, Gammon Barron made in, in terms of the uh, supermarkets doing craft ranges well and I, I think we should just acknowledge that Marks and Spencer have for a number of years now, now that craft oh, range massively. by tying up with large UK regionals to produce a range of what are their own label beers. Yeah, I think they've done fabulously well with that. I mean, they've always had a, a time with a few, so they've had a fairly long-standing time with Oakham, a long-standing time time with Mean Time, long before they you know became part yeah. of the macro macro scene. So the fact that then those beers presumably were quite successful, which led them to tie up with other breweries as well, you know, and they always advertise who the breweries are. The breweries are always listed on the labels. Yeah. So it's not like it's hidden. Um, and some of them you can guess if you know a little bit about them. And they have then the clear range in the, you know, which are done by the people like Northern Monk and Four Pure, which are available to buy anyway. So yeah. you could have a fairly decent party off a mar- full Marks and Spencer's range of beers, to be honest. Yeah, and just just on that note, I suppose to finish the discussion, are we being duped? If you go back to my first ever untapped check-in, it was Sainsbury's own brand Scottish craft lager, which we all know now is Shehalion by Harveston. So was I duped? Maybe. Oh, I would have that now. But I'm happy that, that I was duped, because were it not for that beer... I maybe wouldn't have ended up going down the route that I've gone down. Yeah, no, I yeah, I think that's that's a fairly good summing up. We 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 are coming at it this from a position of knowledge. Um, right, time's cracking on, so let's uh, let's do the news. Uh, so we're going to do the news at the end this week. It's not uh, as long as last week's, is it, Steve? No, uh, only a few items this week, and I'm going to rattle through them fairly quickly, to be honest with you, because they're all quick. So, uh, Carlsberg have have rebrewed an original 1883 lager. Um, so this comes at the end of a three-year project to rebrew the lager. It's now available in the UK in bottled format. Retails at twelve ninety five a bottle and is available for purchase at London St Bart's Brewery. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to be rushing out to spend twelve ninety five on a bottle of lager. Is that the St Bart's Brewery, uh, Smithfield? I think so. It just says London. Okay, so it's it's ten minutes Bart's from where I work, so I might have a little look at that. Um, I, I want to be as positive as I can about this next one, but it's really difficult not to. Well, your voice doesn't sound very positive, so up it. Come on, Sh- Shepherd Shepherd Neem of Unveiled. Uh, unveiled a new brand 
this this last week. Um, kind of looks a bit like the old brand. It does. If, if I'm honest. It does look like the old brand. Um, all they seem to have done is lost the red background and added a hop to, to their shepherd's crook. Um, but that's that's now, now rolling out across all of their, their, their branding. Um, so keep an eye out for the new look shepherd name. Um, Beaver Town have announced plans for a first bar and distillery. Um, so uh, looking into the first quarter of next year, they're hoping to open up their own bar. Uh, looking at a site in East London and long-term plans to open up their own distillery. Ah, so they're following Adams. That they Adams are, are they, trendsetters. They are indeed, yes. Um, next one is... Uh, so this is from a piece of news that was sent to us by Roland, who's had quite a few mentions this week. At Has Been New Boy. Check out Stephen Roland and their beer podcast for weekly reviews. Um, there is a homebrew competition at the Manchester Coffee Festival. It's on November the 5th. Um, entry into the competition costs £5.90 um, and we will send dried coffee flowers to brew uh, with plus entry to the festival and a chance to share a homebrew with their punters. Uh, it's all being sponsored by Otter's Tears. If you want any more information on that, I would suggest you get in touch with Roland on Twitter at HasBeenNewBoy and ask him for details. Uh, can I just throw in there, I've quite enjoyed the last couple of uh, beer bods podcasts that they've done for the couple of beers. Roland and Gary have rambled non-stop about everything apart from the beer. Brilliant. And I've quite enjoyed it myself. St Steve's obviously away St again then. Steve must be hating it. <laughs> so I'm sure he will mention the rambling when he comes back. But I have to admit, I've quite enjoyed the rambling. Sorry, Will. Um, and the last bit of news this week. And hold the klaxon, shit the bed. There is a new game changer on its way. Um, being released at Indie Man this weekend from Magic Rock is a new IPA called The Hypnotist at 6.8%. It has been brewed with Citra, Mosaic and Simcoe Cryo Hops Lupulin Powder. Steve's got a face on him but I don't want to see ever again. I have no words as to how that makes me feel. Hopefully I'll be able to report back on how great that was next week. So that's the, uh, that's the end of the news. Um, time for the prize this prize. Yep, prizes, prizes this week. I feel like we should have a bit of a drum roll, um, so if uh, you can work on. on that. Thank you very much. And four contenders this week. There were, Is it me? You are in contention. Woo! Come on. So, in contention, Beer O'Clock Show with their, his picture of our uh, setting for last week's uh, recording, our flight to beer. I like that one. Um, yeah, I liked it as well. Yeah, I think you know you did. Not, not the one there. I thought you'd choose, but you know, no. I like it because it's uh, it's the, the the colours and also the fact that the uh, the iPads there. It looks like we're about to work. But we did work. We did work, but you know, it looks like we were. <laughs> uh, the next one is from someone who's had a few this this shout outs already. Uh, Pim Sean, a nice uh, glass of Hogsback, traditional English ale. And then we have uh, one from Son of a Gun, the Papa Midnight Black IPL, which looks very nice with the uh, bright blue sky behind it. However, the winner this week is from Hopscene Rob. I'm sure a few people have heard of him before. No way you're giving him the prizes prize. I am, me. because he's got a lovely Magic Rock Brewing Growler in the Magic Rock tap room with all the cannonball in it. And you've got a little bit of condensation on the outside of the growler. So apart from the fact that he's taunting Steve by putting the picture on there, 
I actually quite like that. Bearing in mind the space it's in as well. So congratulations to Rob. The big box of nothing will be winging its way. And perhaps Steve will take it with him when he next goes to Leeds as well. I, I think Rob may well be an indie man. So I, I can maybe give him the big box this weekend. Oh, there you go. Congratulations. Yeah. And I think, I do believe that's a, a first time ever for Rob as well. So, so, so well done on, on that one, Rob. Okay, so let's get the final thoughts on the double zombie blood India Red Owl from Odyssey Bruco. Um, mate, what did you think of this beer? Well, it's very drinkable. I love the little bit of the earthy quality in it. Carbonation has stayed true to it. And yes, I'm getting a little bit more flavour now that it's warmed up a bit as well. There is, and for me, there's almost, there's almost a hint of the sort of flavours you get off of a barrel ageing. Go, going on in there yeah I see where you're as, coming from as, as, as well I mean it's it is has your, got a is that your subtle hint to Odyssey to barrel age this beer n- no I, I think as I said earlier I think what Odyssey is specialising in is, is hot forward beers and I wholeheartedly disagree with IPAs being put into to barrel age I just think it, it it's wrong with them so I I, th- I think I've really enjoyed both of the beers both the beers are fantastic I preferred the uh, probably preferred the first one but not by much okay so uh, guys you can still get involved in opinions every week um, look out for the polls on Sunday night to get involved uh, we'll be talking more opinions next week and in the meantime you can find us at Beer O'Clock Show on Twitter Instagram and Facebook you can also find me on Untapped at Beer Show Steve uh, Martin where can people find you Beer is the answer, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and on Untapped. We're pleased to say that Opinions are still able to bring you discounts from ours by Mal, Beer Merchants, Ebria, and Hot Burns and Black. Check out beeroclockshow.co.uk backslash discounts, and make sure you stay around until the very end of tonight's podcast to listen to Martin's interview with Duncan Sandbrook, um, because it is a good one. So until next time, cheers, folks. Cheers. Okay, well, I'm uh, here at the Sandbrook Brewery Tap Room with uh, Duncan Sandbrook, the founder. Um, I'm also here with uh, Matt Chinnery, also known as Half Pint Gentleman from Twitter. Thanks for coming down. No, it's a pleasure. Uh, Duncan, the first question has to be, why did you decide to become a brewer and how did it all become a reality? Gosh, uh, it's quite a difficult question to answer because there's lots changed over the last eight years and certainly... When I started in 2008, it was more of a love of beer, and I'm sure you hear lots of brewers saying the same thing, but it was a love of cask beer, and I grew up in Salisbury, uh, drinking things like Hotback Summer Lightning and uh, Ringwood, uh, Old Thumper 49er, and had a lovely experience of those quality cask ales. And I came to London, and I think, yes, there were some pretty good beers in London, Fuller's London Pride. Uh, we at the time we were getting quite a lot of stuff down from Adams, Timothy Taylor's, but there just wasn't that real local offering. No, that one where you go to and you go, you know, he's just down the road. Um, I can go and speak to the brewer. I can go and grab their beer, and it was about bringing that local offering of great cask ale to London, which I don't, which I think was missing at the time. Okay, so if I if I remember the the history of the brewery correctly, 2006 Great British Beer Festival. You were having a few drinks with your friends, and a chat started. A chat, a chat, and a beer crawl. Yeah. Um, so we started in. This was in the days where uh, the, the Great British Beer Festival was laid out by county. So we started in Cornwall. Uh, my brother, a friend of mine, then went to Devon, 
and we had a lovely beer and then we went to Somerset and we walk, walked our way all the way through the different bars into London. And London was the first place that we found that uh, there was no beers on any of the camera bars. And that was because Fuller's had their own stand. But it was almost like the penny dropped then. It was like, wow, I've just gone up from Cornwall where there was 15 fantastic microbreweries and through my home county and up to through Sussex as well. And you get to London and you think, 8 million people? No local microbreweries? Yeah, well, I, I guess by 2006, Young's had already sold yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, meantime, of brewing, but they wouldn't have been uh, GBBF invitees mm-hmm. anyway. So, yeah, you would have been left with just Fuller's. Absolutely. Which, as good as Fuller's are, and there's no point in saying anything else, they, they produce a very good range of cast beers, that was it. And like you say, so you wouldn't have had a local beer unless you were local to Chiswick, would you? Absolutely. So, okay, so 2006, you're having a chat with your mates, and you, uh, an idea has been planted in your head. Mm. You're working in the city mm. as, an, as, as an accountant or... As, so, it, in capital markets. So capital markets, helping, okay. Helping companies float. Right. Mm. Um, the leap, which it has to be said is a leap, from doing that in the city, I've I worked in the city myself for the last 20-odd years, to deciding I'm actually going to brew beer for a living. Talk us through the couple of stages that got you to starting out the actual selling beer commercially. I think it did help that I was working in capital markets because I was working with some fantastically entrepreneurial people. Um, so a lot of the companies we were working with, you'd see guys in their 60s um, who lived their business for 40 years when floating and they had passion and drive and energy. And I didn't have that in my job. So there was definitely a realisation that I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something which I had a passion for. And I think it was just that moment where the two things just combined, the beer, the idea, um, and the fact that I wanted to do something on my own. And that was the catalyst. Then it was really testing the market. And I'm, I, I'm happy to say I've got some really great friends who supported me along the way, but they were ruthless when I came up with this idea. And every time I came up with a plan about what I was going to do, they'd send me back to the drawing board and say, well, you haven't thought about that, you haven't thought about that, and you haven't thought about that. And it took me two years, really, from that fateful trip to the Great British Beer Festival to actually getting the idea off the ground. A lot of unpaid work experience, as many people wanting to get into brewing do these days. Um, I think, you know, that at the time, there wasn't a lot of people doing that. And I remember going, working in Stonehenge Brewery particularly, and Otter Brewery particularly. I had some fantastic experiences there. And the guys were like, why would you want to do this? And I'm digging out the mash tun, and they loved it because it's free labour. So, uh, but it was not many people were doing those sorts of things at the time. Got great experience about actually what the nuts and bolts of were to, to run a brewery. Um, being out on a dray, delivering beer, seeing how the sales teams work, seeing what it is to actually put a pump clip on a bar, help sort of do all the seller services stuff, all the things you don't really think about. And then I had this very, very lucky meeting with a guy called David Welsh, who happened to be the ex-managing director of Ringwood Brewery. Uh, He'd retired, he'd sold his brewery to to Marston's, and that was another sort of step towards realising the dream because uh, he was uh, a guy with some fantastic experience, and I'm sure he'd admit this if you asked him, bored witless in retirement. Um, he'd had enough of golf, wanted to get back, doing something, um, being involved in the industry. And I managed to persuade him to, to 
put his brewing boots back on and he came and brewed the first batch of Wandle with us. In fact, I have David to thank for the, the recipe for Wandle. Um, it was very much his, his idea and um, although we discussed lots of recipe formulations, I still remember the first day he turned up um, and we put something together and we tasted it a week later, that went down the drain, then the second batch went through, that went down the drain, the third batch, and he had this habit of walking around with a, um, a white overalls, full overalls, not a lab coat, just overalls, with welly boots, it's just absolute apparition. And he came in, and there was a little uh, office just downstairs from where we are now, and he goes, I've just got a feeling about this, and uh, he'd been talking to a hop merchant about Bodicea hop, Bodicea wasn't very much used at the time okay and so we used Bodicea and it just transformed what we were trying to create into a lovely session ale uh, something we were very proud of I think it's very difficult to brew yeah a, a flavorful beer at that ABV well yeah I mean I've heard that a lot from people who because you didn't start off by doing home brewing as such a lot a lot of home brewers have said that to do a English session ale is probably one of the hardest beers to actually do mm. so the fact that you ended up nailing it perhaps on your third attempt mm isn't so bad as it happens. So, I mean, something else I read was that, uh, you know, Dave made a bit of a suggestion to you when you when he first said about, there's only one way of doing this. And it sounded like it was going big. At the time, how did that sound to you? Um, it was like, it, firstly, I think it was a real endorsement about what we were doing because he thought we had something. The original plan was just simple five-barrel brewery as a lot of people set up in the UK, um, you can do that and you can prove a concept, but it's not going to break the bank if it goes wrong. So the fact that I had this guy who is a bit of a legend in, in, the, in the West Country in terms of his brewery and his experience saying, you know what, you need to go four times a size was actually a big endorsement and made me think maybe I'm onto something. And I would have never thought that the beer market would have changed as much as it has done now. But actually, that meeting and him telling me to go back to the drawing boards and pull up together something which is four times the size was really the making of Sandbrooks. Okay, so like I say, it was a, mm. you're doing something right. Yeah. Mm. Was you ever worried? Because like now, when there's so many breweries like starting, mm. it seems like maybe the worry's not there as much because you see so much mm. other success. But at the time when you opened uh, Sandbrook's up, it was like, there wasn't that. Was you ever worried about that? Or do you ever think, oh, are we doing the right thing? I've, I've always backed myself. Um, and to a certain extent, the fact that I've got that confidence to back myself, I didn't have a lot of nervousness of setting up a business until this thing called the credit crunch arrived. <laughs> and <laughs> the timing was uncanny because I literally handed in my resignation in April 2008. We signed on a lease in uh, July 2008 and Lehman's went bankrupt in, April, in August 2008. And so I literally just con converted my entire life, all my life savings, everything to this project. And I was like, oh crap. <laughs> that, so that, that is a, a defining moment in my career at Sandbrooks is just that knowledge that things were going to go wrong. And we actually lost... Um, we lost two investors, so we put together 10 investors to help us grow the business. Uh, myself, my initial friends who were at the Great British Beer Festival, David, and, and five others. And two of those said, actually, it's too high risk now, we're, we're pulling out. But 
we'd already committed, we'd already signed on the dotted line, I'd put a deposit down for a whole raft of kit, and there was, you know, possibly a squeaky bum moment. <laughs> oh, I bet there was. <laughs> and it was very humbling, because at that stage I just went, you know what, I'm committed, I got on the phone to every single person that I knew, and just phoned them, and I had to ask them for money, and I just said, look, we've got this idea, we haven't got anything yet, but we're already committed, we need your support. And I've now got 25 shareholders who are fantastic, who've been supportive throughout everything that we've done, who get us, who help with everything from people that are in HR um, to people that are in sales to people that are um, friends of friends of friends. So third, third, third yeah. move I'd never even met before, coming down and going, look, I just want you to be a success and helping to make it work. So in those early days, there was a lot of, look, just get, get the thing done and, and work hard and we can prove the concept. And I think overall we have. And it's been, it's been fantastic to be here and, and be one of, one of the vanguard of the new brewing wave. Well, I think it's a fair enough title. I mean, like I said, when you started, there were, by then, there would only have been two breweries in London. If, if my memory serves me correct, that would have been meantime the Fullers. So therefore, you were leading the way whether it felt like that is another matter, but you probably just thought, I need to make some money at some point here. <laughs> um, so, but what were, the cha- what were the challenges then for a new brewer, a new startup, versus, say, what they are now, which is eight years on? The, the, the biggest challenge then compared to now is actually getting people to buy into your concept. At the time, beer wasn't particularly cool or trendy. Um, there was a real reticence of people to try new things. And when I say people, I'm actually talking more about the, the uh, landlords and the, and the bar managers who are running pubs. They were happy with their range. And it's very difficult to break into that. Uh, one of the things that we learned really quickly was you had to do a lot of work to get onto the range. But then once you were on the range, you tended to stay there for a long time. The opposite is probably true now in that it's very easy to break into a range because there's lots of opportunities to get into a guest ale rotation, but it's much more difficult then to stay on and be a proven concept. So we benefited in the early days from being new in that once we had broken into the scene, we could stay on the bar for a long period of time, but it was an awful lot of work to get there. Okay, so you had to do a lot of legwork initially, Mm. but then you could stay put, whereas now probably less legwork you stay on for a lot less time. Yeah, and I, I mean, in a way, I, I, I do feel a little bit sorry for some of the breweries that set up because you will have probably 20 pubs call you and say, I want your first batch. So you won't, you'll sell your first batch, your second batch, your third batch, your fourth batch, and then there's probably another brewery that's opened up by then. And so all of those people that have just bought your new beers have then gone on to the next new brewery, and three months into the, down the line, you'll probably go, oh, wow, nobody's buying my beer anymore. And suddenly it probably dawns on people, you've got to sell more beer. And brewing actually isn't about brewing, it's about selling. Yeah. And I think I, that, that was drilled into me really, really early doors. Um, it's about selling. And that's why we started with one product at the time, because we wanted to get people to recognize the product. Um, we wanted people to, to see it in multiple locations. And... We wanted people to, to have confidence in the quality. So it's all about one product, consistent quality, and then people can trust us as a brewery. That's why we started Wandle. A year later, we had Junction. A year after that, we had Powerhouse Porter. It wasn't really to our fourth year we then started to expand our, our, 
a seasonal range. Okay, I didn't realise it was such a gap. Because mm. Junction, for me, is my personal favourite mm. of your car scale range. But what you're saying is that Wanda was 2008, Junction 2009, Porter 2010. So effectively, two, three years, now three beers. That's right, yeah. Presumably, you just wanted to see what the feedback was all the time, see what uh, people thought about it, what the buy-in was, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, with regard to feedback, and this is more the personal question as a as an untapped user, as a brewer, owner, founder, do you pay attention to things like untapped, rate beer, those kind of sites? Do you look at the feedback, the scoring? Does that is that of interest to you? I used to. Um, I do less so now. I think there's one thing I've learned is that brewer people that drink beer have very very diverse opinions about the beer that you brew and certainly something like untapped for me is driven as much by flavor as it is by marketing and so actually if you look at some of what what, what generally wins lots of accolades in, in something like untapped it'd be a russian imperial stout or it'd be something super duper yeah you know, wonder is never gonna win loads of accolades in untapped but it sells a hell of a lot of beer yeah and and also, if you look at certain breweries as well and the way they position it, it they'll, at their average scores will be higher than breweries that don't have the right marketing. So the local guy down in, I don't know, Devon, for one of the better county that hasn't invested in marketing, hasn't invested in um, getting in the right bars or whatever, will get a lower score overall than somebody in London who's got access to PR and great marketing and those sorts of things. So I think I have to, so originally I did, I spent loads of time, I thought, oh, why, why don't I like my beer? And, um, and conversely, oh, that's great, I love the fact he likes my beer. Now I'm sort of like, well, there's lots of influences towards flavour, which are not necessarily under my control. It's how the publican looks after it. Yep. It's how it's portrayed in a bar. You know, is it on, um, have I got my pump clip there? Is it on a back bar? Is it unbranded? Those sorts of things. And actually, what generally is the perception of, of that um, that drinker? If if it's a drinker that loves really, really highly hot beers, I'm never going to score well because ours are more malty, they're more balanced beers. Yeah, far, far, more, far more rounded. Yeah. They're not Hong Bombs, are they? Yeah. Uh, that leads me to the, you will see, first time I went to the London Brewers Market in mm. Spitalfields a couple of years ago, discovered that you guys started doing a bit of keg. Mm. Um, what prompted that move from a brewery that was car scale for maybe six years? So why why have you opened yourself up to the keg market? What, why? Um, I've always I've always seen ourselves as holistically a brewer uh, and agnostic to the form of dispense, and that's our ethos. So if I look at where our beers have come from. It's been cask firstly, because that was my passion. Right. Um, then it was bottle, because I wanted people to be able to drink my beer in a bottle. Then it was keg, because I wanted people to understand that we do the whole range, and we were tapping into a, a different type of consumer that might not necessarily want to drink cask. So it's very much having, being able to brew everything across the whole range, and engage with consumers that are after different things. So we brew every single beer differently depending on the dispense. So 
we don't brew a wandle in a keg because it, it won't work. There wouldn't be much, there wouldn't be much point. No, <laughs> there really um, wouldn't. But we do it. We do it in bottle, but we brew it differently in bottle. So we, we change the flavour profile because we try and fit, fix it for that marketplace. And then um, on the keg side, we can have some fun. We can do a Russian Imperial Stout. Um, we can do um, the collaboration that we did with Heretic earlier in the year, which just won't work on cask either. No. So actually, there's I guess two things coming in here. It's it's widening the range of beers that we can do, um, and it's appealing to different types of consumer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, you have less worry with certain kind of dispense methods versus cask. Cask is the high maintenance. It is, yeah. Isn't it? So yeah. your your keg version it does enable you to get into different places. I think uh, Matt was saying earlier, he'd seen in Weatherspoons in Victoria. Yeah. You know, that, that's not a bad place to get into. There's quite a busy throughput through there. So that's not bad. Um, I guess to, to, to finish off, um, what's the future? What, what's next? Well, I think I mean, I'd like to think that we are the Southwest London brewer, um, and that's very much our, our ethos now. I see London becoming more provincial and more villagey, and so you've got lots and lots of breweries setting up and becoming whether it's Brixton Brewery or Hackney Brewery, and it's becoming smaller within a within a larger city. But I'd love to say that we're the Southwest London brewer, and it's about um, us being proud of what we are. Um, we do a lot of stuff with community, so it's about extending our our business and brewing to the wider community. So it's engaging with local kids who want to come and work here. It's engaging, we've just had our eighth birthday party down in Tooting Common, which is called Beer by the River. We, not by the river this year, but it always, it always it's always been by the River Wandle, but we, we outgrew our venue. So this year we've gone to Tooting Common, and I think it's going to be Beer by the Common now. And uh, yeah, that was that was fantastic because we had loads of people come down. It was food, it was music, and it was beer. And I think what I what I've always said about brewing, and the thing that really appealed to me when I set up the business, was if you cast your mind back to the ideals of a brewer in Victorian eras, they were very much right at the centre of the community. The brewer had the same sort of status as the mayor and people looked up to them as a bit of a moral compass. Yeah, they were very proud of having their breweries. And I think we're coming back to a time where that's still the same. Um, beer's lost its way, um, it's become less important, but it's very much about, it's a great social lubricant. You have to have a responsibility when, you, when you're a brewer and you meet our head brewer, Sean, it's fantastic. He does loads of stuff, not just with pubs, but he does stuff with, uh, with, with consumers and with the, the wider community. And it's about positioning us back in that wider community, having fun and enjoying good beer. All right, well, that sounds wonderful. I'm all for that. And uh, thank you very much. Pleasure. Cheers. Cheers, mate.